How's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and uh, I am dealing with some major allergies today. They're kind of kicking my butt, so if I sound a little raspy or a little hoarse, or uh, if I slip into some Peter Brady, uh, well, that's probably why. Uh, we're in that weird time where the weather's actually starting to change here in Arizona, where it's getting a little bit cooler. It's getting a lot cooler at night, and uh, never fails to wreak havoc with my uh, with my sinuses and my nasal passages uh this morning i was doing my my daily yoga and uh downward dog was especially uncomfortable because it felt like my head was going to explode but uh you know just like the uh, the mailman you know got neither rail nor rain nor sleet nor stuffy nose it will stop us from uh from meeting here to discuss another x-men book and uh well, today we got a doozy. We actually got a lot to talk about today with uh, this very special issue of, uh, of X-Men. So let's get right into it. This is episode 56, by the way. I don't know if I said that yet, but uh, there we are. This is episode 56. And the book we're discussing is X-Men Volume 5, Number 6, which is uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of kismet, right? 56, 5, 6. Eh, there you go. This one had an April 2020 cover date. The story's called The Oracle. Written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Matteo Bufagni. Colors by Sonny Goh. Letters VCs Clayton Cowles. Designs Tom Muller. Edits Bisa white Sabolski. Cover price $3.99. And this one went on sale February 12th of 2020. So we open this sucker up and we are in flashback land. Distant flashback land. At least in real life. I don't know how... We'll talk about the sliding scale later. But we join Mystique and Destiny as they're watching a sunset. Though I suppose Mystique is... It's only Mystique actually watching it, but uh, suffice it to say, they're spending time together. Destiny is preparing to tell Raven something that she might find unbelievable, but something she promises will truly come to pass. Of course, Destiny is a precog. She could see the future, and uh, she's about to break off some knowledge for, uh, for our Mystique. But first, we flash forward to the present, and we're on board the Orcus Satellite, one of my very favorite places. No, not, not really, but uh, we'll do it anyway. Now, we learn that the Orcus Forge has been rebuilt, though it is without its mother mold. We also learn a little bit about the Orcus infrastructure, if you will. Uh, they've got defense units in Mercury's orbit, as well as a watchtower on Venus. Hopefully it's not the same watchtower that we're reading about over in Major X. Uh, there's also something called Sentinel City, where they mine and uh, will eventually construct a subterranean habitat. We next jump to later, where Director Devo is building and rebuilding and rebuilding a MacGuffin or something. <laughs> he talks about how, you know, you only get to perfection if you, if you redo things over and over and over again. 
Now, Omega Sentinel, Karima What's-Her-Face, is there with him, and she suggests that uh, the whatever it is he just built, it looks perfect. Then a courier appears at the door to take this doohickey to Dr. Gregor. Later still, that's exactly what happens. We see Dr. Gregor, who uh, I'm not sure we've actually seen her since the closing pages of X-Men number one, uh, but she's still busy toiling away at whatever it is she's been toiling away at. And we'll have a better idea before the end of the issue of just what that is. From what we can see here, however, it appears to be a pink chest plate. Hmm. Let's do a roll call. Director Devo, Omega Sentinel, Dr. Gregor, Mystique, Charles Xavier, and Magneto. Then we get our credits. From here, we hop all the way back to Powers of X number one, which we discussed in long form in X-Lapsed episode two. Now, Mystique is with Charles and Magneto, handing over that bit of data that she, Sabretooth, and Toad had stolen from Damage Control way back in House of X number one. And, of course, that was X-Lapsed episode one. Now, the conversation begins the same way. Mystique tries to hold Xavier up to make some more demands. Demands that we know a little bit more about having, you know, finished Hoxpox. She wants Destiny back, of course. Now, Xavier gives her the whole, you know, needs of the many, helping your fellow mutants spoo, before telling her that he has another mission for her. Of course, she will be part of the doomed Mother Mold team. That's something we already know. But we also get some new information here. Xavier has given her a Krakoan seed to plant while she's up there. You know, it's going to be a, a gateway seed so they can maybe come back, go back and forth as, uh, as they see fit. So, we jump ahead to the Mother Mold mission, where Nightcrawler has just bamfed Mystique into position. She shapeshifts to make herself appear to be an Orcus soldier, and goes ahead and plants that gateway flower in the satellite's uh, Arboretum, or whatever it is. Seems like uh, a lot of these ships have Arboretum, so I guess that's uh, fortuitous. We then resume with the scene that we already saw play out pertain pertaining to Mystique on Mother Mold. She runs into Dr. Gregor and Omega Sentinel, who, if you recall, did the whole thing where they opened a convenient trap door right under the feet gimmick, which sent Raven out into the vacuum of space. Now, her final thoughts of what this mission is really all about, to her, of course, she agreed to help Xavier in exchange for one very important thing, and of course, that is bringing back Irene. Mystique dies, but we already knew that. We jump ahead again to the resurrections of the Mother Mold Strike Force from the big shoe drop issue, X4, I'm sorry, House of X number 5. We see that scene where, you know, Cyclops is resurrected and he asks Xavier if they were successful, and just like we read back in the long ago, the professor reveals that they were. We jump to even later still, and Mystique is once again summoned by Xavier and Magneto. You see... They said they were successful, right? But here's the thing. Xavier and Magneto are like 95% sure that Mystique did what they asked her to do. You know, plant that gateway seed and all that. But since this newly resurrected Mystique is from a Cerebro backup from before the Orcus raid, they can't be totally and completely sure. So they ask Mystique to try accessing the Krakoan gateway, if she actually planted it, of course. We learn here, or it's reinstated, I, I can't remember honestly, that Krakoan gateway seeds grow in pairs, so tandem. So both sides need to be planted in order for a gateway to be functional. So, if she didn't plant the other seed, she'll slim simply pass through the portal as though she were Franklin Richards wearing one of his daddy's devices. So, Mystique shapeshifts into some Orcus gear, steps through, and boom, what do you know, it works. Turns out... 
that Mystique was that courier from the uh, beginning of the issue here. And so, she picks up the doohickey from Dr. Devo and delivers it to Dr. Gregor. Now, Gregor is too busy toiling to even notice. Here, Mystique gets a better look at that pink chest plate and decides to bide her time a little bit. That night, we see her, Mystique that is, holding a blade while standing over a sleeping Gregor. She decides, however, not to kill her. We jump back to Krakoa, where Mystique is reporting this to Xavier and Magneto. She reveals that it doesn't look as though the Mother Mold mission actually stopped the creation of Nimrod. As a matter of fact, it might have just jump-started it. Mystique tells the fellas that whatever it is that Gregor is building, it sure looks Nimrod-y. Magneto asks why Mystique didn't just take care of Gregor right then and there, to which she reminds him that, uh, hey, we got laws, don't we? Magneto's a bit incredulous here. He's kind of like, come on, you know, he... They know that these things are bunk. I mean, every every group we talk about has has allowances and can bend these laws as they need to. But I, I like that Mystique is kind of uh, hoisting them by their own patat, I guess. She's, she's, she's throwing it right back in their faces. Now, Xavier, he presses as to what Mystique might actually be, you know, angling for here. To which, duh, she wants Destiny back. This This really shouldn't be a surprise to the world's greatest telepath, right? Uh, Magneto says that this wasn't the deal, which I could have sworn it was, but what do I know? Uh, Xavier tells Mystique that she's got a lot of work to do in order to gain that kind of trust. You see, she has a history of stabbing her own kind in the back, and she's not going to get her a big payout until they're sure it won't happen again. Magneto restates that they need Gregor dealt with. So Mystique, slump-shouldered and defeated, tells the fellas that she'll go back to the satellite the following day. She then tells Charles that she hates him, and uh, he doesn't seem all that surprised or bothered by this fact. He reminds her that everything they're doing, everything that they're working toward, is bigger than the both of them. We follow Mystique to a place called the Oracle, which I had to double-check an old map of Krakoa to make sure it was actually a place, and it is. As Raven descends down a spiral staircase, the discussion she had with Irene back in the flashback land plays out. Destiny tells her of a vision. A vision of an island. Not the first island, but the last island. And I'm guessing, I think Krakoa is like the third mutant island. We had Genosha, we had Utopia, and now we have got Krakoa. And uh, this vision will come to pass after Irene herself has passed on. So she will be dead at this point. Now, Mystique will be invited to this island, and she'll be made a promise, and a promise that'll never be honored or paid off. Now, there's a reason for all this. The reason that this promise will never be honored is because they want to keep Mystique and many others in the dark, the people in charge, that is. Past Mystique does not really understand any of this. This is Mystique in the flashback. She's like, I don't get it. Destiny understands that Mystique doesn't understand, but suggests that when the time is right, she will. And when that time comes, Mystique is to, in no uncertain terms, bring Destiny back. Now, if she cannot, and if those in charge will not, Destiny instructs Mystique to burn the entire place to the ground. And that's where we leave it. Next episode, we'll be looking at more orders number eight. But how about we talk about this? Because hot damn. <laughs> it, it, this is this was a hell of an issue. Um... It feels like it's been forever since we read an issue of Hox or Pox, and then here we are, suddenly right back in the thick of it, right? We're actually in between pages of that series, and uh, 
man, it's a, it feels so good, doesn't it? Now, even in writing my notes for this episode, I, I felt like I was right back in the first week of September when I was just trying to like get this little project off the ground here. I was terrified that I was getting things wrong. I was I, I had these feelings of like uncertainty and trepidation. I was worried that I was missing or misreporting key details from pretty much damn near every scene in the Hoxpox books. I thought I was just I thought things were going over my head left and right, and I felt the same way here, and that's a good thing because it got me right back into that mode. And boy, I I just had so much fun doing this one here. Let's talk a little bit about what we learned here. Okay, now, some things we already knew. We already knew that Mystique has been doing everything she's been doing up to this point for one reason, right? She wants to bring Destiny back. She wants her wife back. We also know that, per Mora, that under absolutely no circumstances is that to be allowed. We got those two things down. Up to this point, we know that Mystique has gone on the Mother Mold mission where she perished, and upon resurrection, she was installed as a chair on the Quiet Council. That's what we knew. Here, we find out quite a bit more. Mystique was given a secondary task while on the Mother Mold mission, planting that Krakoan gateway seed, which she did. I got a question, though. Mystique's a shapeshifter, right? She could, and in fact did, shapeshift into an Orcus soldier to do this mission, right? Why in the world would she revert back to Mystique? Was there a power dampener at play that I forgot about? And I say that only half-joking, because for all I know, that might have been a key plot point that I've just forgotten. Question. Is this a sign that the the Mother Mold mission was always supposed to end with the Strike Force perishing? Was this intended as a one-way trip from the get-go? Because, I mean, let's be honest here, self-preservation definitely doesn't seem like a priority here, does it? It really doesn't make much sense to me why Mystique wouldn't just stay shapeshifted. Or maybe I'm just thinking too hard. I tend to do that, especially when we're tying things back to Hoxpox. Now, Mystique's second trip to the Orcus Forge is pretty interesting, as it confirmed that the initial mission might have actually kicked off the series of events that will ultimately lead to one of the doomed futures. And as I began reading this, and I got my first glimpse of that pink chest plate, I got kind of weirded out. You know, things started to fall into place, and I, and I smirked a bit, right? Of course, it wasn't confirmed as being Nimrod until later on, but this certainly telegraphed that, uh, that reveal and did so in the best possible way, because it's just like, it, it really, I don't know, it was like a light switch turned on. It was like, uh-oh, <laughs> something's going down. Now, Mystique refusing to deal with Gregor in, until Destiny is brought back is, uh, is very interesting. It's very much the classic, you know, rock and hard place sort of situation. Um, Xavier and Magneto, who... They come across as such massive pricks here. Uh, They need Mystique to get in there and do the dirty work that only someone with her abilities and training can do. And they've got this carrot to dangle, but from the looks of it, they never intend to allow Raven to get a bite of it. I think it's easy to assume that uh, the Professor and Magneto are underestimating Mystique here. They really seem to think that they've got her wrapped around their little fingers, and she'll continue to make sacrifices and be a good soldier for a promise that they never intend to make good on. But really, how long can that possibly last, right? Um, Or, I mean, we know that Mora doesn't want Destiny back, but we do have evidence that Eric and Charles have gone against Mora's wishes before. 
I mean, they've done so in the past. They brought Sinister in when Mora wasn't really keen on that. And uh, Mora suggested they, they, they very well might do that again at some point, which is very interesting. It, it adds another layer to this story where maybe maybe it isn't such a self-fulfilling, easy for me to say, sort of thing here, sort of destiny, no pun intended, where they won't bring her back. We don't know that yet. So let's talk a little bit about Destiny. Let's talk about her instructions to Mystique that we closed off with. If she's unable to bring her back, or if those in control refuse to bring her back, Mystique is to burn the entire place to the ground, the entire island, which is a pretty frightening thought. And it's like the first time that we see some smoke to perhaps signal a revolutionary fire. I mean, just last episode, we talked about X-Force number 7, which, uh, We talked a little bit about the collectivist nature of Krakoa, right? How the needs of the many are being weighed against those of the individual. It's made pretty clear here by Xavier's comments about what they're building being bigger than both of them that there's some truth to that. It's getting harder and harder to view Xavier as anything less than a villain in all this, though. It's uh, very dismissive of the individual, which... uh, I'm, I'm wondering if that's an overtone we're supposed to be noticing. I, I almost assume it has to be, um, but we'll we'll get there, I guess, when we when we get there, if we get there. So here we are. We're seeing some dissonance, right? We got Colossus and Domino. They're they're having like a more passive dissonance, and now we have Mystique with a potentially incendiary, literally, sort of way, right? So we have these questions: Will she deal with Gregor? Will she kill Doctor Gregor before the Nimrod thing happens? Will she destroy the Nimrod prototype? Will she go to the satellite, just come back and say she did without doing it? It's a lot of meat on this bone, and uh, I really can't wait to see it play out. We get more questions. This is great. This is just like Hoxpox here, where you get to you get to ask yourself all these questions, and uh, for better or for worse, you get to listen to me work my uh, work my way through it and give you my hot takes. So, uh, questions. Are these futures inevitable? I had asked during our read-through of Hoxpox if there had ever been a Mora life cycle where the X-Men were able to successfully take down the Mother Mold, the Orcus Mother Mold. I assumed that the successful mission drastically altered the trajectory of the doomed future. Here, here we're finding out that, that that wasn't the case at all. I mean, at least in theory, considering it looks as though Nimrod is going to happen one way or another. And then we have the Mora scene in Powers of X number 6, and I questioned, like, why she had to remain in hiding, right? Because, like, hey, we changed the future. Now, that's a little bit clearer. You know, it's not crystal clear or anything, but it makes a bit more sense as to why Mora would need to stay in hiding um, to, I don't know, prevent a future. Or just prevent people from knowing that there are strings being pulled behind the scenes. Um, another question, what was that doohickey that Mystique couriered from Devo to Gregor? And does it even matter? Uh, or was that just a clever MacGuffin to facilitate Mystique heading into Gregor's lab? Could be. Uh, big question here. What else might Mystique know? Let's look at Destiny here. Destiny's been dead a long friggin' time, right? She's been dead since Uncanny X-Men number 255. That was uh, 1988 or 1989. So, long time. 30 years in real life. Uh, I don't know how long it is in Marvel time, but for us, 30 years. Long time. 
and a lot of stuff has happened in the interim. So, if Destiny was already able to foresee Krakoa and the whole Dawn of X landscape being a thing, what else might she have seen? What else might she have told Mystique about? Is it in any way possible that Mystique already knows that Mora's there? Is she angling? I mean, this is, this is very interesting stuff. It opens up a lot of potential uh, little story spurs that uh, I hope get explored. And I mean, let's reel back just a bit here and we'll think about Destiny for a minute. There was a whole volume of X-Men, Extreme X-Men, dedicated to putting together a team to track down Destiny's diaries. They've since been destroyed, but I mean, they, they did exist. And if she wrote anything about the rise of Krakoa, there's a chance that other people also know. I mean, we didn't know up until this point that Destiny knew what was happening, right? So I guess the potential big question or the big takeaway here is who's playing who? Is is Mystique like just biting biting her you know biting her tongue here, or you know chewing on the side of her mouth, trying to play good soldier while she knows what's going on behind the scenes? Um, or is it you know just is it a, a matter of like what we see is what we get and she doesn't know? I don't know, a lot of questions, which is great. What that that's that's what I love about these uh these very uh these very dense sort of issues where we have so many ideas, so many concepts just percolating and bubbling. It's awesome. Whatever the case, whether she knows or doesn't, whether she goes back or she doesn't, whether she burns the place down or does whatever, I loved this issue. So many questions, so many half answers, and a whole lot to look forward to as we continue. Gotta say, the one-off, vignette nature of this X-Men volume has finally paid off for me. And, uh, really, just such a wonderful book. Um, if you are not following the Dawn of X books, if, if you're, and, and for whatever reason you're still listening to this program, well, thank you. But, if you had dropped the Dawn of X books, I'd say pick up X-Men number six, because... It fits in with the Hoxpox stuff. If you were reading Hoxpox but but left during Docs, grab X-Men number six because it fits right in. It's it's similar in tone, it's similar in just shoes dropping, you know. Really, really awesome issue. Thought it was fantastic. Which makes it even harder to do our uh, Dawn of X Wave 1 number 6 power rankings, <laughs> which is what we're up to next. Really, really hard to rank, and that's in a good way. We've got like an embarrassment of riches of good books. We had three awesome issues, two very good issues, and Fallen Angels, of course. Um, <laughs> now, if I were going to rank these things, uh, you know, it's hard for me to put anything but... This issue of X-Men in the number one spot And uh, And I mean I'm looking at the uh, the Numbers right now and I don't have X-Men In the number one spot but After discussing it with you all right now I almost Gotta move it I gotta move it Top book of the of the number sixes is X-Men Second is Marauders Third is X-Force Which was a really strong issue Fourth was New Mutants which closed out Our story on the farm Fifth is Excalibur, which sort of, kind of ended our time in Otherworld for a little bit. And uh, holding up the uh, the anchor of the uh, Dawn of X line is uh, still, and, and what is it, the winner and the reigning champion, <laughs> Fallen Angels, number six. So, 
X-Men, Marauders, X-Force, New Mutants, Excalibur, Fallen Angels. That's my power rankings for the Dawn of X Wave 1 number 6s. And I look forward to hearing your guys' thoughts on this uh, this very interesting and very uh, very strong run of books here. But uh, before we go, we do have one letter to touch on here. And this is from our friend Al Sedano, and he's talking about Excalibur number 1. He says, so, this was Excalibur number 1. Okay, my first thought is, who in the hell is this trinary person, or trinary person? Are they new, or did they show up in the last few years? I really hope something about them is said in the next few issues, but just in case they don't, could you give me the skinny on them? Well, no, I can't. (laughs) Uh, Trinary, or trinary, was a brand new character to me as well, and I'd never seen her before. And oddly, if I'm remembering right, I don't think we've seen Hyde and her hair ever since this. Um, I think the last time when we did see her here, I did look her up, and I found out that she first appeared in one of the color books. I want to say red, since that's one I haven't read a single issue of just yet. So yeah, she's newish. What her story is, I really couldn't say. Maybe we'll see her again. I don't don't know. (laughs) It feels weird that they'd introduce her and then just not use her for... uh, I mean, we're going on to the fourth or fifth month of these Dawn of X books, and, uh, yeah, we saw her once. Uh, Al continues. As for the rest of the issue, it was okay. Not horrible, but not great. It's definitely my least favorite out of the issues I've read so far. And, yeah, I was pretty much, or very much, actually, in the very same boat. It's just kind of there. And it's like a weird dissonance for this issue, because... On one hand, it was really nice to be reacquainted with some familiar faces, right? I mentioned it then, it's like, hey, it's Rogue, it's Gambit, it's cool to see these characters again. It's been so long since I've seen them. But, I feel like there's too much attention paid to the Otherworld stuff for it to kind of actually stick the landing. Just wait until you get the Fallen Angels, though, my friend, because uh, that'll probably bump Excalibur up a notch or two in your power rankings for the first issues. Uh, Al continues, I'm hoping it improves. I like the general idea. With this new concept of a mutant society, it makes sense to have books focusing on different aspects. And since this is a world with magic, why not? And yeah, it does make sense. Uh, Just, like, in practice, and as it pertains to Otherworld and Camelot, to me, it's kind of dull. And if you continue uh, working your way through this series, you might find, like I did, that it overstays its welcome. It's, uh... It feels unending. (laughs) Even now, um, where we're where we're up to, I think issue seven or eight, we're not in Otherworld anymore. I think we ha- we spent like a page or two in Otherworld last issue, so we're not really in Otherworld, but it's still kind of there. And I'm always worried that we're going to get another world issue. It's yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they'll break away at some point. Probably after uh, ten X of tens. Now Al wraps up with. I guess I'll see where I rank this issue after I read the rest of the number ones. Oh, and mutants were first, as far as I can remember, called Witchbreed in Neil Gaiman's 1602. And I think that's definitely right. Uh, I want to say that a few people have, have reached out to remind me of that. Um, to be honest, I only read 1602 that the one time when it was coming out. And to uh, continue being honest, it bored me to absolute tears. Um, and I feel like... Had that book not had the words Neil or Gaiman on it, nobody would care. <laughs> I don't think it would be remembered quite as fondly these days. When Neil does a book, reviewers are very polite. 
because it's Neil. Uh, but 1602 to me was just so dull, and I expected so much because because uh, it was a big deal to have Neil Gaiman there, and also. I am a giant mark for Miracle Man and how 1602 was a part of that, you know, that Miracles and Marvels uh, deal that uh, Neil had gone with uh, with Casada and company. I was like doubly excited because everything that I bought was in theory helping to, you know, get the rights to Miracle Man back. And of course, they got them back and did nothing with it. Um, well, they, they reproduced some things, but uh, we're still waiting on the uh, the Silver Age, there, Neil. When are you, when are you going to do that? We've we've only been waiting thirty years, so I know, I know I, that you have other things to do. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure which breed uh, stems from uh, from sixteen oh two. I think that's that's got to be the case there. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Al. I'm so happy that you are continuing through with the Dawn of X books, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some of your thoughts on the uh, the upcoming books because. The first issues, uh, let's see, what do you have left? You've got New Mutants, which was a lot of fun. You've got X-Force, which had a crazy cliffhanger. And you've got Fallen Angels, which, uh... Yeah, you got Fallen Angels. And uh, <laughs> I really want to hear your thoughts on that. Now, if anybody else has thoughts they'd like to share with me about Fallen Angels or anything, in fact, you could do so very easily. You can reach me on Twitter at Ace Comics or by the old uh, the old fashioned email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find show notes, blog posts, and a whole bunch of stuff at chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You could find the dedicated Xlapsed page at xlapsed.chrisoninfiniteearths.com. If you want to talk about X Men comics, you can go to our Facebook group, 90s X Men, and uh, you can find the entire Chris and Reggie archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com where there's many, many hours for your many, many, or I guess few ears. You only have two of them and uh, I don't think there's very many people looking for stuff, so yeah, few ears, a lot of hours. I figure it'll work. So that's where we'll put a pin in it today. Had a wonderful time talking about this very, very wonderful issue. I hope you all enjoyed hearing it and if you are reading along, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and I'd love to hear if you did or if you didn't. But uh, until next time, just a one more giant thank you for sharing your time with me this fine day. And uh, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.